0: Uh, Thank you. Uh, Thank you to Sarah for inviting me here. Ben, thanks for that beautiful introduction. It's just great to be over in the East Bay. Thank you to Zach. Is Zach still here? Was that his name? The singer? (laughs) He's great. And Aaron, it's really a treat to read with you. So let me just launch right into it because I only have a few minutes. Thought I would begin by reading this piece that I'm writing. It's for this book that Dody and I are writing together, called "Eyewitness" of what we, the things that we saw in the Bay Area poetry scene. <laughs> <laughs> and this was this is a the beginning of something that that I'm writing. It's called "Long Ago Tomorrow," and it was involves uh, Carrie Edwards, who some of you are too young to remember Carrie Edwards, but. She was a um, well. You'll hear about it in here, but I'm thinking that maybe it's not apparent right away that she's a she was a, a transsexual and she was transitioning as long as I knew her from a a man into a woman, or kind of kind of a male and a female avatar. I met Carrie Edwards in Colorado, at Naropa in the summer of 1999. A warm summer afternoon, late enough so that the sun slanted into my eyes when I heard. Her call my name from afar, almost like putting your ear up to a conch shell and seemingly miles away. I had strayed rather far from the buildings of the school compound towards the river, and I saw Carrie make her way out of the sun towards me, parting the tall, uncut brown grasses with her hands, perhaps not too gracefully but with enormous force and determination. It was nearly a Stanley meets Livingston thing. We seem so far from conventional civilization or from the urban in which I spend most of my time. I always come back to that first meeting. Me standing in that field and she approaching me like Mrs. Moore in a passage to India. Or Kathy running headlong towards Heathcliff in the moor. Or really in my head, it's more like the Kate Bush video, Wuthering Heights. (laughs) That's what it is. <laughs> Fran, Fran Blau was there too, trailing Carrie by about six or seven yards, picking her way through the overgrown fields that are now, I think, practice fields for the university's football team. Ra, ra, ra. I'm not describing the actual plant life very well, but think of Christina writhing around in that grass in that Wyeth painting Christina's World. We in the the new narrative movement were never sure whether it was all over or it was just about to begin. So we were tentative, more so than most writers. Not paralyzed with shyness, far from it, indeed always ready to talk, so long as it was was about something else. Part of it was the simple paralysis of human feeling, the Novocaine-like prick of nothingness that comes down and shuts off like a bell jar, when emotion threatens to infect the subject of writing. Have you ever noticed that? I'm sure you've noticed it. I wanted my writing always to hover on the edge of hysteria. Like Bataille, Bruce said, Bruce Boone. But for me, it was embarrassingly more often the dopey romantic chasms of the lyrics Hal David wrote for Burt Bacharach during their famous partnership. (laughs) Maybe I'll be the things I dream and not the things I see. It was like these lyrics, like the more you listen, like, maybe I'll get to change the world before it changes me. And maybe my life will always be just as happy as it seems. Long ago tomorrow. Do you know this song? Long ago tomorrow. Long ago tomorrow. In my dreams, that Carrie, on some level, saw herself as one of us was an affirmation that the new narrative cause wasn't just about identity politics. The next time I saw her was at a setting equally sublime, Niagara Falls. And perhaps in consequence, when I think of her in retrospect, I always counterposed the beauties of nature with the rough-hewn and very human determination to wrest happiness out of nature's maw. Carrie never looked natural, per se. Her quizzical, sometimes breathless air, her mode in the French sense, prevented one from thinking of her as naive or even young. And yet there was no one I knew with a deeper commitment to looking for something real in the heart of the facade. Maybe she would learn to face the truth and like the truth she faced. She was 45 when I met her and would be 55 today if she had lived. You know, this is kind of kind of depressing for me, and I think I'll skip to something else. This has been such a cheerful evening. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll read my poem, I Lost Me to Meth. (laughs) 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 Okay. I lost me to meth. Well, you'd have to be gay and living near the Castro and remember these posters that appeared last summer all across the Castro and they were always in sepia, different guys like looking horrible and they would sign it, I lost me to, to meth and the me and the meth were kind of in the same font okay. I kept seeing these posters of these hollow eyed men in the subway on the door of the bus and the billboards high above the city street, I lost me to meth, male shaky hand Spelling it out, tragic, clever. I was thinking of how I had lost myself to meth, which is maybe what they meant. And all my friends, I moved in on this perilous, lonesome feeling. But you aren't on meth, the little voice kissed in my ear. You're fine, Kevin. If you if you have lost meth, it is to age, to the medication, to the medications that make you smile. That gaunt man on the sign, they, all of them, tinted in sepia, for when you lose yourself to meth, you first lose your color. <laughs> you, you become a numb gnome in this tree, tweaky village of the Castro. The rainbow flag, all stripes of one sepia. <laughs> and that is how I lost being gay. I tried explaining some of this to Raymond. On the way home on the plane, it hit me. I lost me to them. Them as a way of reading meth. (laughs) It was in my head why this message seemed so rad. The paint, the color of weak cocoa, and I lost me to them, Raymond. (laughs) Raymond, I've had this trouble since 11 or 14, (laughs) scrambling to keep up with this one ball, black and white, a soccer ball, and me falling behind it, Onto my face in the first dirt of the 60s. Where you go, I will follow. All others can go to (laughs) ilostmetometh.com, where probably paid doctors can explain it better. But I will be on ilostmetothem.com, a destination few will reach the ordinary way, unless you're really tweaking balls, your fingers hitting every hot spot on the keyboard, and wow, all of a sudden, you're on the site with dirt on your tongue. It is sort of the Danny Minogue of feelings. (laughs) A worthy girl turned into charity case. And my resentment of that man whose cock seemed longer than he knew what to do with. And that day in the market at Cannes, during the Cannes Film Festival, when Sean Penn won the Palme d'Or, freaky satin ribbon pinned down his chest by three small couturieres giggling down to his white bell. It is your day to shine, Sean Penn, as seamstresses earn their keep by hugging, tugging at your ribbon, spelling out the words of bread. I lost me to meth, exclusively on Okay. This one's called Tightrope. You see a lot of these are left over from me writing my book, Action Kylie, and spending nine or whatever years thinking about her all the time. And one of her songs is called Tightrope. I'm high up on a tightrope and I've just got to get to you. Uh, High up on the passage between the vowels, a rope that crawled like a snake from one edge of the page to the other, then bouncing back, I was thinking of how a lot of poems that I read start on the left, and then they they make it a certain way across the page, then they bounce back. (laughs) Do they have this problem in Japanese or Hebrew? I keep wondering. In Japan or Israel, are the poets into genre collapse the way I keep my heart on the mattress like a tin can of nothing? Are those putative poets novelists at heart? So easy to push a little at your poem. And all of a sudden, Alice Notley is checking her word count every few minutes. In France, in that little room, the red, white, and blue intertwined in ribbons. I'm high upon a tightrope. And I've got to get to, got to get to. Kylie whispering this song and then deciding to leave it off her album. All her best songs saved as b-sides or just leaked onto the internet, where they live on as fan favorites, where a life of their own ennobles them, where, where when they creep into Duane Reed's needing something mundane like scotch tape, shoppers start to shriek in excited whispers a la David Cronenberg's Scanners. This one's called Claude Cahun. Do you know the French artist, surrealist Claude Cahun? I'm pronouncing it badly. Is it Cahun or Cahun? That's the first one of the poem. Is it or it's Cahun or Cahun? It's C A H U N. Second syllable, so tight and small, it's not even really there. Claude Cahun. <laughs> French surrealist and her partner, Marcel Moore or something. Or something else. (laughs) Kylie had that song, More, More, More. Was she singing of these two artists from France? But then, being sore, one thinks of Britney and her comeback song, Give Me More. more." (laughs) The center of attention. (laughs) Claude Calhoun stands in full harlequin drag, big patchwork squares, under a blonde bleach and a haircut so short, it's nothing but cowlick. The mirror acts as a clearing ground for the rest of her personality. Is she sneering or just being someone else? There is no first time around. This is what I learned from going to CCA. There's no first time around. So nothing is new but theories of social subjectivity and alterity. Who was it first made that construction? I still haven't had this one answered. Who was it who first thought of this construction? If so-and-so had not existed, we would have had to invent her. I've got a vulgar mania for citation. The face is not the other, but the center of attention. I think I'm having too many reference in these poems. It's all about the references. Cherry Bomb. I wrote this one when Kylie released Cherry Bomb and Heath Ledger died. And we were studying, uh, we were doing a course of, uh, it was a, a replica of Spicer's magic workshop. And one of his points was that somebody has to die for poetry and blood has to be spilled. So one of the assignments was you know to kill, sacrifice, make a human sacrifice. <laughs> and then like when Heath Ledger died i was like oh it happened <laughs> yellow roses open in the dark of the crystal vase i'm spilling my beans over on a website closed but to subscribers you know it's where the fans meet talk fans split on cherry bomb which some declare the best of all the X-era B-sides, others Jira's Eurovision hell. As for me, I'm undeclared, thinking mostly that Heath seemed like a wild name, Dionysian, the boy of the Moors, all mad fire, while Ledger was Apollonian, like St. Peter, counting up your sins in his ledger when you knock on heaven's door. Ledger, that is one motherfucking MBA sort of book. <laughs> Pages lined, sums entered by a man who stands. Entering some in his ledger, browbeaten, Bob Cratchit kind of guy. The quiet desperation of the clerk. You made me feel like I didn't need to go to work. You had the hands of a clown grown calm. Feed me up sight with your cherry bomb so that you would cast Heath Ledger in parts that exploited both sides of his personality. Mouthing Shakespeare in high school drag in 10 Things I Hate About You, as a smart-ass modern boy thrust into medieval underwear in a knight's Tale*, the gay cowboy in Brokeback Mountain, that which he did was the work of Attis. When Ledger died, the blood of Attis sank deep into earth and poetry rose from his seed. In the pink of his bones, we saw a better world with weird flowers. He tore off his balls to bring ritual to a universe deadened to sin. Obama doing that video with, yes, I can, with a straight face. And McCain, damaged by torture, a hothead, threatening sanctions. My mother-in-law would say, McCain, he was tortured. He's a hothead now. So that around the world flashed that one AP photo of Heath Ledger and Danny Minogue hugging that Australian boy with Down syndrome at some charity event, hearts all over them. Well, we argued that Heath is health without the L, a consonant instantly supplied when his surname began, Heath L. They called him Heath Hell. Where am I? This is my very newest project. I have a new book of idea about for a book of poetry. I'm going to read you some. You'll, you'll say they're, same, they're the same as what you do, anyhow. But it's called Pink Narcissus. This one's called Pink Illusions. I've got these freaky angels with white wings in my pink illusion house, they feather my walls with rache revenge in German. You know that one from Sherlock Holmes? Yeah, okay, he goes into the house and the blood, it's Rache. and he, Watson says, must be Rachel, but he died before he could end the word. <laughs> and Holmes is like, no, it's Rache. <laughs> they feather my walls with Rache, revenge in German. And I was so close, that's what kills me, to a heaven mad with flower petals and zigzag papers bangles and beads, the dream of the warrior. And then to find out, like a snap of salts, it was only a ruse of pink illusions. I was never going to be a player. Along the river, the fountain plays, and sapphic songs are sung, but not for me. This one's called Sandcastle. It's wet sand at the beach, sand castle. And on the rocky beaches of San Francisco, you can only make a condo out of the sand here. If you were making a sand castle, it's, a, it's tough. In Ulysses, why should no man starve in the deserts of Arabia because of the sandwiches there? You remember the hilarious jokes of Stephen Dedalus. Why should no man starve in the deserts of Arabia? Because of the sandwiches there. The milk rolls in, great curves of milk, authentic Pacific Ocean blue built on sand, like my apartment on Minna Street. During the earthquake, we shook and rolled, building castles in the air. An authentic Joni Mitchell moment I couldn't stomach. I felt sick and puked my lunch on the steps, sitting down fast, Feeling the earth roll under my legs. How came the sandwiches there? The tribe of ham was bred there and mustard. As years ago I dared my as years ago I dared my new friend, Buzzy's straight friend, into Long Island Sound with me, way after midnight, nearly moonless night, warm with a buzz on. I'll leave my underwear on, he said. Yeah, do, I said. I don't want you to be uncomfortable. Then dashed like the witch of the low tide into the surf, leaving him to follow my bare forked body. If he would, fine. If he wouldn't, that's okay. He was from Moscow, Idaho, and had never seen the ocean before. And this was not the ocean. <laughs> This one's called First Cover. First cover your arms with suntan lotion, then exacerbate the way you feel by dipping your torso into the tight red and black matador outfit. James Bidgood has stayed up all night in his tiny room sewing for you. A trick jacket, shirt, and bolero tie combination that's really all one garment, and it fits like kid glove. This is the sequence in which you, the matador who kills the bulls, enters the arena without pants, but splendid from the waist up. And if truth be told, splendid from the waist down. Noel Coward wrote his song, Matalote, for his lover Graham Payne, when their love was still new and Payne still straight. And that song, somehow mournful and glum, has stayed playing in James Bidgood's head all night, as he sews spangle after spangle across the broad shoulders of your matador top, a little bird whispered at, fluttered outside the tenement window, came to rest on the soot-covered sill. The bird that whispered to bid good, all night long, a matavo is different than a matador." Those voices that plagued him that infused him with doubt a Matalo is some kind of sailor dummy. No, no, that can't be true. I'm halfway done with the costume, and you will be here in the morning if the heroine lets you. Then why do you think that song says, here within my arms, you'll sleep, sailor from the deep? No, no, I won't listen. Over his ears, he jammed two hands, hands stinging with needles and thread and sequins. Don't torture me with doubt. Why do you think the song says, Matalo, Matalo, where you go, my heart will follow when you go down to the sea? He doesn't say, when you go down to the bullring, (laughs) When that bird had done moving its beak, Bidgood was in tears, and your skin-tight matador top sparkled with tears like the water of some distant Catalan spring. So that's my new direction. <laughs> and this is my old direction, but it was, it was um, Kylie Minogue. Her uh, last single that she had was called Wow, 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 Wow. Some of you have heard my, me read this piece before. But in Wow, we were the fans were like, what is she actually saying in this song? Can't make out the lyrics. And some of us were arguing because she seems to be saying, um, you know, like when I see you on the dance floor, I'm filled with genital emotion. <laughs> and others were like, oh, she, she's like a kind of PG rated star. She's not going to say that. And, and my poem is called Genital Emotion. <clears throat> Did she say genital emotion or the more logical angelic motion? Months passed before a lyric sheet came out in which which it said angelic motion, but it just doesn't sound like that. The teletypes pound like jungle drums. Hella commotion on the Kylie International Network. (laughs) That almost sounded like genital something. Genital emotion. Like Frank O'Hara, I have behaved disgracefully. (laughs) I've thrown up on Erica Jong, Fainted fainted at readings, confused two black poets with each other, been accused of not being able to distinguish black faces, tried to talk Dody into posing nude with me, a la John and Yoko for Brains magazine, made a pass at David Johansson and, and Chris Johansson and Hansen, but I never I never actually spoke those words, genital emotion. It is the born from which no traveler returns. There's a line here separating sheep from goats, men from boys, pumas from cougars. It's called genital emotion. You know it if you've got it. It is the most embarrassing thing that could happen outside of death. Now wow, 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 wow. I have one more poem to read. And Aaron is going to help me. Aaron Kunin. And I was watching TV and this one, watching this one movie, it's called Go Naked in the World, with Gino Lollobrigida and Tony Franciosa, 1960. He's just out of the Navy and he comes back to San Francisco. He doesn't want to join up with his hated Italian family who are wealthy contractors. Instead, he falls for the charms of Gino Lollobrigida, who's a kind of playgirl with her own suite at the hotel. Have you seen it, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And she's like, she doesn't want to fall in love because she's a prostitute, but she's falling in love with him anyhow. But what Tony doesn't know at this point in the movie is that she's torn because she's actually the mistress of his father, Carl Malden. (laughs) (laughs) So we're, and he's trying to find out what her problem is. I don't want to sit in your living room. I don't like your living room. It looks like it won't be there tomorrow. Everything you've got looks that way to me, very impermanent, as though you moved in 12 minutes ago and you could move out in half an hour and not leave a trace. Well, you left your traces on me, all right. Why can't I get you out of my mind? Hmm. You need a girl, maybe. Oh, I've tried that, believe me. That bothers you, doesn't it? Hmm. Why should it? I don't care about what you do. Julie, you're a liar. (laughs) Go away. No. I said go away and don't come back. I don't need you and I don't want you. Why should you come drifting into my life out of nowhere and ruin it? You think every time the phone rings, my heart doesn't jump at it? Maybe it's time you answered, Julie. No, I don't want to be loved, or be in love, or have any trouble. That's what love is to me, trouble. Leave me alone. Okay, okay, we won't talk about love, never. Love is trouble. Down with love, Julie. (laughs) Oh, I could believe in love. I think I believe in loving you. Oh, I hope so, Julie. Why? I don't know. You make me feel like being honest, and honest women have lonely nights. I don't want to be honest. I want to live on a cloud, a big white cloud, with nothing to do but dangle my feet over the edge. And I fool myself that I'm completely happy for a change. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. To all our readers. Um, now I'm going to remind you to go to our blog at workingforthecityatblogspot.com where there are interviews with both Aaron Kunin and Kevin Killian. And join us on the first Friday in September where Trong Tran and Jillian Hamill will read. Okay, thanks for coming. Thank Bye.